On this episode of 1.21 Geekwatts, we talk with Jackson Bostwick, the man who played Captain Marvel on the 1970s TV show Shazam. And I go on a geek rant about the diabolical forces of stupidity that tried and failed to slow Wonder Woman's box office conquest. Now straight from the rock of eternity at the nexus of time and space, where the real estate bubble seriously is about to pop, this is 1.21 Geekowatts! Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Geekawatts, episode number 17 for June 2017. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. I'm referring to movies, TV, comics, games, theme parks, and more. If all that sounds good to you, you're in the right place. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. Big news, nerd pals, before we begin the show proper. Are you a regular listener of this show and often think to yourself, you know, I love listening to the 1.21 Geekawatts interviews, but it drives me crazy that I can't be in the same room and witness that witty banter in person? Well, guess what? All of your dreams are about to come true. Well, that one dream about seeing interviews live, at least. I can't help with the other recurring dream where you can fly, but then you're back in middle school, and that one hall monitor is made of fish sticks. You're on your own regarding that one, but I digress. The big news is that I'll be hosting a panel discussion with Lauren Lester, the voice artist behind Robin and Nightwing, on the Emmy Award-winning Batman the Animated Series and the Adventures of Batman and Robin. Yes, the awesome 90s animated Batman series. He's also appeared in a million other projects, ranging from the thriller Red Eye to the 80s sitcom The Facts of Life. This will take place on Saturday, July 8th at the Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown, New Jersey. It's a great convention. I'm very excited to be a part of it. And I'd love to see you New Yorkers and Jersey boys and Jersey girls in attendance. Visit www.gardenstatecomicfest.com for information regarding tickets. Unless you've been living under a rock on the island of Themyscira for the last few weeks, you know that Wonder Woman stormed the global box office hard and won over the hearts of critics and fans alike. Whether the film deserved to have this much weight placed on it or not, let's be honest, the stakes were very high for Wonder Woman. On one hand, Warner Brothers needed a hit with the DC film property. Sure, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and Suicide Squad performed well at the box office, but not so well that people stood in awe of the achievement, you know? And they certainly didn't perform well enough to overcome the critical and fan reaction, which can best be summed up as, eh. Hey, maybe you love those movies. More power to you. I certainly think that they had some cool moments. But even if you're a super fan, you know that there were plenty of criticisms. But even larger than that desire for box office success was the gigantic weight being placed on Wonder Woman as the supposedly first superhero film starring a female protagonist and could it deliver? Of course, for this argument to work in the first place, we've got to disregard the fact that this is not the first superhero movie starring a woman, unless we're forgetting the solo Catwoman and Elektra films, which maybe we should, so never mind. 
Indeed, can an action film led by a strong woman put both male and female butts in the seats? Why, such a thing would be unprecedented. Aliens. Well, spoiler alert, Wonder Woman did indeed deliver. Biggest box office opening for a female-led film, biggest opening for a film with a female director. Critics like it, audiences like it, everybody wins, right? Well, no, not the pockets of threatened men who did what they can to throw roadblocks in front of Wonder Woman using methods ranging from social media to international bans of the film. Shall we throw the lasso of truth over these examples and expose them for the sexist and anti-Semitic buffoons they are? Let's do it. We'll begin with a segment on Your World with Neil Cavuto on Fox News Channel, which claimed, quote, some are calling the movie less American. The specific charges that seem to be leveled against the film as less American, Wonder Woman's costume is now red, blue, and gold instead of red, blue, and white, presumably taking issue with the fact that Linda Carter's blue TV panties with the white stars are not present here. Is that the issue? Because I want my skimpy outfits to celebrate the stars and stripes. Woo! Ugh. The second change, quote, very little reference to America at all. If you haven't face-planted yet, dear listener, now is probably the time to do it. You know what? Let's do it together. Ready? One, two, three. Ugh. So let's break this down. First of all, I don't know who's calling this movie, quote, less American, other than a segment producer on Neil Cavuto's show who was looking for a sensational, political-motivated hook to talk about a new movie with a lot of buzz. The term fake news comes to mind, doesn't it? Second of all, to be fair, the women on the show's panel discussion were the ones who pointed out the fact that Wonder Woman does spend the movie fighting alongside the very American Steve Trevor on the side of the Allies during World War I. And it's also pointed out that the nature of the film business dictates that it is in fact smart to think about the international audience since there's so much money to be made at the global box office. And that the character is in fact not American? Do they have laptop bands on invisible jets yet? The guys on the panel, however, bemoan that the big screen G.I. Joe team is now an international strike force instead of an all-American one. And then they make a joke about Baywatch. <laughs> uh, men. Then there was the Palestinian movie chain, which banned the film from cinemas at the 11th hour because the movie stars Gal Gadot and Israeli. Nothing was specifically mentioned about the fact that it was an Israeli woman starring in the film, but curiously, the Palestinian theater chain apparently didn't have an issue with exhibiting Batman v Superman, which also featured Gal Gadot, so... The silver lining was an argument pointed out by a Palestinian film fan who wrote something to the effect on social media of, if fans want to see it, they're going to figure out a way to do so. That fan was clearly more than halfway to determining how he was going to see the film. That comment helped restore my faith in humanity, or at least in superhero film nerds around the world. But Palestine wasn't alone due to a quote-unquote administrative error. Tunisia also banned the film. Even if paperwork was to blame, the Tunisian People's Movement Party sure made a stink about fighting the normalization of the Zionist entity. They're talking about Gal Gadot. Thanks for helping, you anti-Semitic cretins. And then who could forget the now infamous internet misogynist who vocally protested the fact that the Alamo Drafthouse theater chain had scheduled a handful of female-only screenings of Wonder Woman. 
For the record, this protest isn't the sole reason I'm slapping this buffoon with a misogyny charge. Reading his delightful screed in which he writes such uplifting and inclusive passages such as, women pretend that they do not know that only men serve in combat because they are content to have an easier ride, and name something invented by a woman. That's what makes him a card-carrying He-Man Woman Haters Club misogynist. This troglodyte was publicly obliterated by none other than the mayor of Austin, Texas, who ripped this fool's argument apart in a must-read editorial. Seriously, if you haven't yet done so, please find it online and read it. And all of these reasons are why Wonder Woman is important. July 3rd was Wonder Woman Day at comic book stores across the country. As we were approaching our local comic book store, my family and I, we could see young kids, mostly little girls, walking away wearing paper tiaras and bracelets, smiling widely with bags of giveaway comics to celebrate and promote the Wonder Woman franchise and the new movie. And within 10 minutes, my wife and two-year-old son were also sporting tiaras and having their picture taken with a Wonder Woman cosplayer while a costumed Superman and Golden Age Flash looked on. If you're one of those guys that somehow still has a problem with the fact that one of the most famous superheroes on the planet got her own film and that it was well received, I implore you to take a lesson from the Golden Age Flash cosplayer. No one was interested in taking pictures with him on Wonder Woman Day and he basically just stood around watching Wonder Woman get swamped. And you know what? The Golden Age Flash was cool with it. He understood that it was Diana Prince's well-deserved time to shine. So, guys, let's take a page from the Golden Age Flash's book, okay? Just be cool. Letting Wonder Woman be a hit doesn't take anything away from your apparently tenuous level of power and ability. I feel like the argument boils down to the very simple message which the world needs now more than ever and as frequently as possible. I am not the first to say it, I won't be the last. But it is this. Representation matters. It's simple. Sci-fi nerds like to think that we're above this. We grew up on the all-inclusive utopian stories of Star Trek, after all. We're enlightened beings, right? Well, ask yourself this. Do you or a nerd pal you know feel threatened by the vivid colors, all the colors, of the superb Black Panther trailer? How do you feel about the popularity of Marvel's Pakistani-American Muslim superhero Ms. Marvel? Do you get bent out of shape thinking about current comic book series starring Asian versions of the Hulk and Superman, or the African-American teenage girl currently headlining the Invincible Iron Man comic? Particularly when you know the original versions of the characters will return in time. It's comic books. That's how they work. Calm down, Francis. I fear that this whole rant has been a case of me mansplaining this drama. Possibly geeksplaining? Bradsplaining? I'm sorry if that's the case, but if hearing a guy's voice is the only way these idiots are capable of listening for now, then fine, listen up. You're dinosaurs. Evolution is occurring all around you. I don't know what it's going to take for you to understand that every day is white male day, so why can't we share a little bit? Try a flavor other than vanilla. You might just like the variety, and some of those flavors are good. I'm making it weird all of a sudden, aren't I? I'm sorry. 
As for the rest of you beautiful, enlightened human beings, enjoy the ongoing victory laps the film has been taking week after week at the box office. The movie is now over $285 million domestic, with a total of $583 million worldwide as I record this. May this success be the first of many for female-led, female-directed movies, especially within the superhero genre. May there be so many that this isn't even a story two years from now. It'll be just a boring footnote shared by people that can't even believe that all of this was a thing once. God, I cannot wait for that. Rant over. Chosen from among all others by the immortal elders Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury, Billy Batson and his mentor travel the highways and byways of the land on a never-ending mission to right wrongs, to develop understanding, and to seek justice for all. In time of dire need, young Billy has been granted the power by the immortals to summon awesome forces at the utterance of a single word. Shazam! A word which transforms him in a flash into the mightiest of mortal beings, Captain Marvel. If you were a CBS Saturday morning TV lover in 1974, you may have been among the many who thrilled to the live-action adventures of another DC Comics hero. The show was Shazam, and it featured the super-powered escapades of Captain Marvel. For the uninitiated, the premise behind the character begins with a teenage boy named Billy Batson, who is imbued with powers by a group of legendary elders. And when Billy says the magic word, Shazam, he's transformed into the superheroic Captain Marvel, the world's mightiest mortal, and fights evildoers. And when he's not actively giving bad guys the business, Billy and his guardian, Mentor, would travel the California highways in a motorhome, looking for ways to help and learning lessons along the way. The character of Captain Marvel was played by Jackson Bostwick, an actor who, among his many projects, also spent some time in the visionary computer world of 1982's Tron. I had the chance to speak with him at the Big Apple Comic Con in March. In 2017, you can't turn on your TV or go to the multiplex and not see a viewing option featuring a super-powered protagonist, but that wasn't always the case. One of the early pioneers of weekly live-action televised superheroics was Shazam, which debuted in 1974 and brought to life the DC Comics hero Captain Marvel. And starring as that hero was the man who wore a gold lightning emblem on his chest and made it look good, Jackson Bostwick. Welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Uh, I want to make sure that I understand the backstory for the audition for Shazam. Here's what I've heard or read, that you had signed with a commercial agent, went out for the role of Captain Marvel a week later, and booked the role as a series lead, which, if true, as an actor, I've got to tell you, that story is simultaneously amazing and disgusting. <laughs> what, what do you think secured that job for you? Because they had been looking for a while, right? They'd been looking for four months for a Captain Marvel. They first looked for actors that were athletes, then athletes that were actors, they were back and forth. They had narrowed it down to four people. I had just signed with this agent, and uh, <clears throat> apparently he was a good friend of the commercial agent, Jack Wormser. They sent me out. I go there, nobody around. I, I thought it was, you know, he's a commercial agent, Captain Marvel, I thought it was like Captain Crunch, it was a serial, you know, because they said a Captain Marvel serial, so I'm thinking serial. So, nobody around and I pull up this little studio filmation I didn't know about it I walked inside nobody's there 
So I sit in and, and presently this uh, guy comes out, introduces himself as the producer, Bob Chenault. You very, very rarely meet the producer on a cattle call. Anyway, went in, talked with him, and as I'm coming back out, and he saw some of these pictures like here, that he could see, he said, man, you can fly without wires and stuff like that. But he said, I, you didn't notice when we were coming out, did you? The guy that was sitting with the Farmer Johns on the bench, I, I said, well, not really, but it, he said, as he came up to me and you were going out, because I weighed about 217 then, I was in cowboy boots, jeans, and a white t-shirt, and I was big. I was doing some heavy lifting back then, because I was in judo and kickboxing and stuff. And uh, the guy said to Bob, said, wow, then there goes, in, in, in respect, he said, wow, then there goes Captain Marvel type thing. And uh, Bob said that was all it took to push me in, because he already liked my voice, he liked my smile and my, you know, my athleticism. And uh, so he said, that's interesting. You know who that was? Mark Harmon. He was just graduated from UCLA as a star quarterback, and he was one of the final four. And so, thank you, Mark. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Whatever happened to that guy? So sad. Nothing, nothing really ever took off for him. He's struggling. Yeah. So you, you read comics as a kid, right? Absolutely. I had all the Captain Marvel and Walt Disney, all of them, Plastic Man, you name it. And I go to college and my mom throws them all out. Only ones she saved were the classics illustrated because they were educational. Nice. So nice. I got the full series of the, cat, uh, of the classic illustrator. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's not too shabby either, necessarily. I mean, yeah. I know it. The others, I had all the Captain Marvels uh, when I was growing <laughs> up back in the 50s. Uh. Yeah. There are so many people, I think, of, of varying age groups. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that my mom held on to mine, that they didn't go away. But uh, Unfortunately, you didn't have any good ones. <laughs> Well, there's some classics illustrated in there. Very educational, so, you know, we'll hold on to those. So, as a fan of the comic book, Captain Marvel, what were your impressions of the TV interpretation? Because traveling the country in an RV looking for injustice, not so much a part of the comics, if I remember correctly. Well, we, we were under the uh, guides of the language police, and every, this is the 70s. All this stuff was just starting out. PC and everything was just starting out. So what happened was, they had to invent somebody to go around with uh, Billy Batson because he's too young to go out by himself, so they invented Mentor. I think they should have used Shazam, have him come down from the rock of eternity, come down and go with him as a hologram. Here's Filmation, it, it was a, uh, a uh, um, what do you, I can't think of the, the word I want. Well, anyway, they did all these cartoons and stuff, and they couldn't, even with the uh, um, elders, all you had was just a little mouth movie, and with all this psychedelic stuff going around. They screwed up on that. They didn't do hardly anything about Billy being a, a, a little reporter. I think uh, we, he only mentions it maybe once or twice that, you know, well, back at the station, we get that bull manure, that they didn't get all that in there. Uh, they missed it all a lot. We couldn't throw any punches. We couldn't do anything uh, to put a child in danger. Yeah. So we were pretty well uh, hog-tied. Those are some serious, uh, right, one hand tied behind your back, as you say, for sure, to try to make that work narratively. There's a great quote on your website which talks about how you wanted your portrayal of Captain Marvel to be a Lone Ranger type that kids could look, look up to. And I like this part of the quote a lot. 
I know how critical kids are, and I wanted to make sure I was presenting myself right and not putting my hands on my hips and preaching to them. So you're clearly a believer in the savviness of young audiences. They're no dummies. Do you feel that uh, that the show succeeded in that approach to the character? Do you think it came through? Well, no question. You know, uh, the guy that took over after me, unfortunately, he puts his hands on his hips a lot. And I know Joanna Cameron. She used to run with her hands on her hip, and then when she stopped, she took them off. I never figured that out. But uh, she's a very sweet girl, though. We had a good time. Uh, uh, I've only been done one thing with her, and the Q&A was, was excellent. Uh, just packed the room. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, did, I went back. I ran my own reels. The uh, editor would give me a, a reel. I'd go in no sound. All I was doing is watching the costume to make sure the wrinkles, you know, that I stood the right way so I wouldn't wrinkle the costume and stuff. Because I know growing up watching Superman, like Kirk Allen and those guys running around. Uh, of course, I love Tom Tyler as Captain Marvel. I mean, he was great. Uh, his costume looked like, well, that's the original. It looked like you ought to be parking cars in front of the Roxy. But uh, I loved his character, the way he played. Of course, he was a great athlete, too. Stunt man, strong as a bull. The guy that he lifts over his head, he's actually lifting. So you also got to play in the sandbox of another iconic franchise, that being Tron in the early 80s. The movie, of course, there it is. I'm looking at a picture right now. I love it. Uh, that movie, as evidenced by every picture you see, right, visually groundbreaking. But I would imagine that for the cast and crew during production, there was some healthy skepticism. Did you go to costume fittings and think, what the hell am I wearing? Well, that you could pretty well see. It wasn't too bad. But standing in front of the sodium screens and, and walking on planks as you're going up over these uh, areas and of course I'm always pushing Jeff, Jeff around and I'm with Stark all the time you never could figure out where you were I can't even figure out where I am now in the picture because they've laid all this stuff in and all we were doing was just running up and down these uh, uh, like scaffoldings and not knowing where we are and what was going to be behind us. So it's very hard for me now to figure out where I am. Right. Just to wrap things up, uh, bringing it back to Shazam, Warner Brothers is developing not one but two Captain Marvel-related film projects right now. A Shazam movie and then a movie based on the Captain Marvel nemesis Black Adam to be played by Dwayne Johnson. Apparently, Dwayne was given the uh, choice to play either Black Adam or Captain Marvel. He chose Black Adam. Did he choose the right part? Is it more fun to play the bad guy? No, he chose the right part because he, he's supposed to be Egyptian. Uh, Black Adam's supposed to be Egyptian. So he played the part being his color. Uh, no, he would not, he's very smart not to play Captain Marvel. No, no, no. Um, I think the, uh, I'm, I haven't heard anything about him. Nobody's said anything to me or done anything. So who knows if I'm gonna be in him or what. Right, right. Well, we're gonna hold. We're gonna hold out for that cameo. I'm. I'm not gonna press till we see up there. So, uh, where where can people follow your adventures? Are you on Twitter or on Facebook? Where can people watch for you? Mainly, just come to my website, jacksonbostwick.com, and I, I am on Facebook. If they if you want to look me up on Jackson Bostwick, but mainly just uh, come to my website. Very good. You know where to find them, everyone. Thanks so much, Jackson. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Good work, everyone. We did it. Many thanks to my guest, Jackson Bostwick. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means way more to me than you know. 
I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? What should be dumped faster than the directorial team of the Han Solo movie? Too soon, Brad, too soon. Following the last episode featuring voiceover legend Kathy Garver, Lori Bach reposted the episode and added, I love your work, followed by three exclamation marks. Three of them! How can anyone turn down an endorsement like that? Thank you, Lori. You can leave me a message at one of the show's many social media channels, and I'd love it if you did. Those would be the 1.21 Kikawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Geekawatts. And on Instagram, you can check out pictures of my own geeky treasure trove at 1.21 underscore Geekawatts. It's new every day. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Geekawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121geekawatts.com and delight in the nerdliness. And if you're not already aware, every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcasts section at the iTunes store. It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good one, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show, which would make me a very happy, happy man. And if you're not an iTunes user, you can always find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com. Huge gratitude to the field general of the frequency response, composer and my co-producer David Cisco. You are and remain the best, Cisco. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. And once again, don't forget that you can catch the 1.21 Geekawatts experience live in person with me at the Garden State Comic Fest on Saturday, July 8th in Morristown, New Jersey. Check out GardenStateComicFest.com for more details. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's Nerd Rock Band H2Awesome with our radtastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. One point twenty-one gigawatts. Whatever geek wants is what we got. From Doctor Who to Aqualad, you might meet Luke and Leia's dad. Pop culture that is super rad. Hosted by some guy named Brad, it'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks. One point twenty-one freaking gigawatts. Where'd you come from? Kind of a long fish story. Are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Cherokee! I'll get her. Oh, that's okay. She's headed straight for home. Besides, a little walking will do me good. <laughs>